0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, good evening, everyone. It's always good to be here. I wish that tonight was under different circumstances. Ray Bentley was a pastor in my life for a little over... 20 years. And there's really no way to measure the impact that he made on me and my family. And like many of you, when I heard about the news last week, I was in shock and disbelief. I don't know that I've gone too much further in my stage of trying to process what happened. Seemed like it happened so suddenly and just didn't seem real. And of course, one of the things that struck me almost immediately, though, while I was struggling to process it, just the immediate void that I felt uh, in his passing and very quickly my heart and my thoughts went towards his family, uh, towards his amazing wife Vicky and Daniel and Annie and the grandkids and of course the church family here, all of you. I hope you know that there are people literally all over the world praying for you tonight, praying for this church and this congregation, uh, that the work of the ministry would continue and that God would just bring you comfort and peace as you're going through this very difficult season. I, for one, am so thankful to have been a part of Pastor Ray's life and his ministry. He really gave me my start in ministry. I was attending this church, volunteering and serving for a number of years. I was working for a hardwood flooring distributor and Pastor Ray called me up in the middle of a work day. I think it was right around lunchtime. And I remember my cell phone going off and it was a silver flip phone that I thought was pretty great at the time. And I flipped it open and it was Pastor Ray. And he says, James, I want you to come work with me at Maranatha. And it was so hard. Because I had to pretend like I needed to pray about it. You know, that seemed like the spiritual thing to do. You know, like if I would have just said yes right away, it was a trick. Like, oh, wait a minute. You didn't pray about it. Never mind. So I had to say, well, Pastor Ray, that sounds so exciting and thank you. But I'm going to need to talk to my wife, Larissa. My wife, who Pastor Ray dedicated to the Lord when she was a baby, so you go back a number of years to what I'm indebted to Pastor Ray with, but I'm going to have to talk about it with my wife, and I'm going to have to pray about it, and he agreed that that was a good decision, and I don't remember how long I waited, not very long. To my credit, I did pray about it, and I did talk to my wife, but very soon after, I called up Pastor Ray and said, oh, I would love to come, I would love to be a part of the church and work with you. And, and he embraced me into this family. And from a very young age, I was put into a position where I don't think many people thought I belonged. I think for a number of years, Pastor Ray was the only one really sure that I should be here. I remember the first Wednesday night that I was doing in this church and being so nervous. Pastor Ray would come over and he'd put his arm around me, pull me in close, and he'd say, James, don't blow it. <laughs> and, I, and I would start laughing, and he'd be like, no, seriously, don't. You know, but just my whole life, my whole experience with this church and with Pastor Ray is just being brought into these positions where I think to myself, Lord, who am I? What am I doing here? Why do I get to be a part of what's going on? Pastor Ray would be talking to some foreign dignitary, some giant in the faith with an international ministry and they'd be in a private conversation and he would see me walking by and he'd be like, James, get over here. And I'd be like, Pastor Ray, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to be a part. of." It. No, 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 come on, sit down and talk with us. And he'd, I'd go walking over and he would say, tell him that joke you were telling me the other day. And it'd be the sort of thing, I knew it wasn't gonna be funny. I knew it was like you had to be there. And so I would start stumbling through this joke and no one would be laughing except for Ray. He'd be laughing and slapping his knee and oh, sit down James, we're talking about Israel. We're talking about what God's doing in the world. We're talking about the mark of the beast and the end of time, sit down and join us. And everybody would be staring at me like, what is he doing here? And Pastor Ray, just unapologetically, would be like, what are you talking about? It's James. You know, I just introduced you to him. What's your problem? You know, keep continue. and we'd be in these conversations. But he had that way about him of pulling you in, making you feel special, making you feel like you belonged and you had a seat at the table. That was his life. That was his ministry. I love these pictures that I've been seeing popping up all over the place of Pastor Ray with his hands raised up high and just pronouncing a blessing over the congregation because in so many ways it encapsulates who he is and his life and his ministry because he was somebody who was so anointed of the Lord. Just the, the hand of God upon his life, the heart that he had for Jesus the heart that he had for God's word and prophecy and preaching and sharing and all of the gifts and abilities that were being used to the glory of God. He was somebody that was so blessed, and yet he was somebody that freely gave all of that out. He didn't hold it on to himself. He freely received from the Lord, and then he freely gave. He would pour out all of those blessings all over us and it was just so wonderful to be a part of a a couple of different times pastor Ray prayed over me and said God I pray that you would give James a double portion of the spirit whatever measure Lord you've given me I pray that you would give James a double portion now I don't know that that was Ray's call to make I'm I'm not sure if he had that authority to say that or not but that was his heart God whatever you've given me give this guy double I don't know that the Lord answered that prayer in my life, but one person I think maybe he did is when I look at Pastor Daniel, who I love and is a good friend. And I I look at his life and the man that he is, the husband that he is, the father that he is, the pastor, the teacher, the worship leader, Who God has called him to be and I think to myself you know that might be what a double portion looks like and I don't say that out of flattery or to puff him up honestly I think it's the call upon his life it's the times in which we live the strange direction that our nation is going in that our world is going in the challenges that we're up against there's no doubt in my mind that God has raised up Daniel. And nobody would have asked for this situation. Nobody would have expected it to happen so soon. And yet, there's no doubt that God has raised him up for such a time as this. And so I'm thankful for him and we'll continue to pray for him and for all of you as you go through this season together. I'm excited to get into the word tonight. We're going to be in Mark chapter five. I'm looking forward to just talking about Jesus. Amen talking about his power and his love and his authority, specifically the story that we're going to be looking at. It's a story that's all about Jesus noticing the individual, that nobody gets lost in the crowd. I think that's pretty common to our human experience. We wonder, does anybody see Does anybody know? Perhaps sometimes we wrestle with, does God really care about me? A passage like the one that we're going to be looking at tonight reminds us of the fact that he notices the individual, he sees what's going on in our life, he cares, he has compassion upon us, and there is power in his name. There's power to bring healing, whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual. There's power to forgive sin. There's power to bring transformation into our lives. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're in Mark chapter 5. I'm just going to start reading here at verse 21. I'll read down to verse 24, and we'll get into our study for tonight. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side... A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now this, of course, is Jesus reaching just about the height of his popularity in his Galilean ministry. He spent so much time ministering in this area and all of his teaching and all of his miracles. And of course, word is starting to spread and you have these huge crowds of people who are following after him. The word that's used in verse 24, it says that the multitudes thronged him. Now, that's not a word we use too often, is it? But it's a very intense word in the Greek language. When it says the multitudes thronged him, it means they were pressing in, almost suffocating. As a matter of fact, it's the very same word that Jesus used in the parable of the sower when he talked about the seed that fell among the thorns. And as that crop began to grow up, Jesus said the thorns came and choked out the word. Choked out. That's the same word that's used here in verse 24. Thronged him. They're pressing in, suffocating him, smothering him. Everyone just wanting to get close. Everyone wants to see what Jesus is going to say and what Jesus is going to do. And then you look at verse 22, it says, Behold, one of the rulers of a synagogue came. I kind of like the way that Luke's gospel puts it. Luke says, Behold, there came a man. And I like that contrast because here you have this crowd that's gathered and all of these people, this sea of faces, they're all pressing in. And Luke says, but now think about this, there came one man. And I'm just reminded by the fact that Jesus notices the individual. Jesus sees us in the crowd. He's aware of what's going on in our lives and especially someone who's hurting someone who's lost, someone who's carrying a heavy burden, the eyes of Jesus zero in on that individual. It reminds me of a story that happened earlier in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 3, there was a man in the synagogue. The Bible says he had a withered hand. And whatever that meant, whatever was going on in his life, whatever he suffered with, he's there in the synagogue. And I would imagine he's probably not making a big deal about it probably kind of covering up his hand, not really wanting to draw attention. But as he's there in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, some of the religious leaders who had gathered there together, they thought to themselves, oh, perfect. We have this trap that's set for Jesus. We're gonna watch him because if he heals this man who has a withered hand, it was on the Sabbath and in their limited minds, that meant that Jesus must be breaking the Sabbath. Oh, because he's doing work. Now, what, how they could have known that, nobody knows. They've never performed a supernatural miracle. How do they know how much work that is? And of course, they changed the Sabbath day. It was supposed to be relaxing. It was supposed to be a blessing, and they turned it into a burden with all of the rules and all of the things that they added on to it. But in their minds, if Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day, he must be breaking the Sabbath. And they don't even realize, here they are, the enemies of Jesus. They don't even realize that they are providing some of the most amazing commentary on Jesus in the entire New Testament because think about what they're saying. They're saying that in the synagogue of all of the people who gathered in there, Jesus is gonna notice this man. There's one man in here hurting, one man in here who feels less than, who feels like an outcast. That's who Jesus is gonna notice, they all say. He's going to notice him. He's going to have compassion on him. And he's probably going to heal him. It's a sad day when the enemies of the Lord have more faith than the followers of Jesus. They have him pretty well figured out. And listen, the truth of the matter is, is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And if you're here tonight and you're hurting, you've got pain you have a burden that you're carrying, I guarantee you that the eyes of the Lord are zeroing in on you. God sees you right where you're at and he wants to meet with you tonight. But this man that comes to Jesus, this ruler of a synagogue, Jairus is his name. There's not a whole lot that we know about him, but we know from his position as a ruler of the synagogue that he must have been fairly well respected in his community He was somebody that people looked up to. He probably came from a good family. In many ways, he's kind of living the dream. He's made it. He's doing well for himself. Perhaps in a position of authority there in the synagogue, he might have been under some pressure to avoid Jesus. We know that there was growing hostility between Jesus and the religious leaders. He was a threat to their power, to their authority. And so perhaps Jairus was under a little bit of pressure. Hey, don't talk about Jesus. Uh, Don't give him any credit. Don't tell people that they should be listening to him. Maybe he experienced some of that. Certainly don't go to him and fall down before him, kneeling and begging for his help. Don't do that, Jairus. But of course, None of that really matters, because Jairus has a little girl at home. Eventually, we're going to find out, 12 years old. Luke's gospel tells us it's his only daughter, and she's there at the point of death. And so right now, Jairus doesn't care what any of the religious leaders think. He doesn't care about losing his position All of the problems that seemed important to him in the past suddenly seem meaningless because his little girl needs a miracle, and so he is begging Jesus for help. It's amazing how life has a way of throwing some curveballs at us that get our attention and immediately set our priorities in place. I remember a number of years ago, I have a 12-year-old daughter who's about to turn 13, but a number of years back, She had always struggled with asthma, and one particular time she was sick, and my wife took her the uh, first to the doctor uh, just to get checked out. And I remember that phone call that I got from my wife, you know, that she was, her oxygen level was really low. They put her on oxygen there in the doctor's office. They were taking her in an ambulance to Children's, and that I needed to get down to Children's Hospital right away. It's just amazing. The problems that I thought were so important 20 minutes before that phone call, the things that I was worrying about, the things that I thought I needed to figure out and stressing out over suddenly seemed meaningless as I'm flying down to the hospital, worried about my daughter who is sick. Now as I mentioned, she's 12 now and she's okay and as it is, she was admitted to the hospital for several days, it was just that first day that was kind of scary. But immediately perspective sets in of what really matters, certainly this last week. I'm sure for many of you, myself included, with the passing of Pastor Ray, immediate perspective starts to set in. And we're reminded that life is short, that life is like a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. And we shouldn't let those moments pass by where perspective sets in, where we're reminded of the little things that we can get so stressed out over, the little things that we worry about, the things that we allow to creep in and cause fear, or when we get sidetracked. When we start to embrace too much of the world and we're drifting away in our relationship with Jesus, we shouldn't allow these moments pass us by where perspective can set in and we can say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, once again, fix my eyes upon you. Help me to remember what really matters, what's really important. So for Jairus, that's where he's at. He goes and he falls down in front of Jesus and he's begging him to come back and to heal his daughter. And much to his delight, Jesus has compassion and he agrees to go with him back to his home. But now this story continues here in verse 25. Says now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." We're told about this woman who has a flow of blood for 12 years and went to many physicians and they only made things worse. The more doctors that she saw, the worse the condition became. Now, I'm personally thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for medicine advancement and technology. I'm thankful for the oxygen tanks that they were able to put my daughter on that helped her out. I'm thankful for all of those things. Uh, We had one doctor who delivered all four of our kids, Dr. Birchner, and she was wonderful. By the fourth, we just felt like she was part of the family and we're hugging her and taking pictures with her and just so thankful she provided such excellent care. Probably all of us in this room, we have stories that we could tell of really good doctors. We have stories that we could tell maybe about some bad doctors or bad experiences But the truth of the matter is, is even when we're receiving the very best care, even when we have a doctor that's just wonderful and is doing everything that they can, there comes a point for human beings where it's beyond us. There comes a point where really there's nothing that we can do. And whether she received really horrible care from really horrible doctors or got the very best care, all we know is the condition for her just got worse and worse. She was in pain No doubt she walked around in a lot of shame and embarrassment. We know that she was desperate. It says that she spent all the money that she had on physicians, meaning she's no longer in any kind of position to be providing for her basic needs. And so she's going to be completely dependent upon others. And the common belief at the time would have been that she was being punished for some sin in her life. To have an ongoing sickness or disease, some physical ailment meant that God was dealing with you because of sin. It's an unbiblical idea. It's not to say that it could never be the case. Sometimes, because of sin, we might experience some kind of physical ailment that comes upon us from the Lord. That is a possibility. But back in Jesus' day, this was the common belief that if you had any kind of ongoing issue, it was because of sin, it was because God was angry and he was judging you, and that's what she walked around with. And so when people saw her, they would look the other way. She was treated like an outcast, she was unclean, she was unable to go into the temple to worship, she was being treated like garbage for 12 years. That was her life, that was her experience. And then she gets this crazy idea in her mind. She says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made whole. And you think to yourself, where did she get this idea? How did that thought pop into her mind? What was she basing that off of? If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made whole. What had she heard about Jesus? and his life, and his ministry, and the miracles that he had performed. Sometimes I wonder, was it just being in the presence of Jesus? That is something that you see in the Gospels, that when you're in the direct presence of Jesus, he inspires remarkable faith. Think about Peter on the Sea of Galilee. He sees Jesus walking on water. And of course, all of the disciples are flipping out and panicking. That I can understand. But you remember what Peter said. Jesus, if that's really you, command me to come out there too. Where did he come up with that? What book did he read that in? I very much doubt Jesus had ever told him that. Hey, if you see me on walking on water, here's what you do to prove that it's me. I don't think he ever said it to him. So what inspired Peter? To say, Lord, if that's you, command me to come. And of course, Jesus, I would imagine, he gets a little smile on his face, and he's like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, Peter, come. And he steps out of the boat and starts walking on water. What inspired him? I think just being in the direct presence of Jesus. Being in his presence inspires remarkable faith. Now, here is the wonderful thing. Jesus is here with us tonight. He said in Matthew chapter 18, wherever two or three gather together in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. Psalm 22 says that he inhabits the praises of his people. Jesus said to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but these are they which testify of me. We're doing all of those things tonight. We're singing his praise. We're worshiping him. We've gathered together in his name. We're going through the scriptures and we're looking for Jesus. He is present here in this place in a tangible way. And you just stand in awe and wonder. And you have to ask, what might he inspire in your heart tonight? What chains do you need to have broken in your life? Do you need to be healed? Do you need to be touched by the Lord? Is there some area of ministry that he's calling you to? You just never know. Being in the presence of Jesus, he inspires remarkable faith. And I think that's what's taking place here with this woman. In addition to being in his presence and just being inspired by him, she may have also been inspired by the word of God. There's this wonderful messianic prophecy in the Old Testament book of Malachi just before last weekend's message when Daniel was showing me the Bible that he was gonna be teaching from, Pastor Ray's Bible, he had opened it up to Malachi. And he said, look at all of the notes that he has here. Who has this many notes in Malachi? Well, Pastor Ray does, that's who. But there's this wonderful prophecy in Malachi chapter four, verse two, that says the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings that passage makes its way into one of our favorite christmas carols hark the herald angel sing hail the sun of righteousness life and light to all he brings risen with healing in his wings that's where it comes from from malachi chapter 4 and of course it's this beautiful poetic passage the sun of righteousness will arise that's s u n the sun will arise and The sun brings light and it brings warmth and there's healing in his wings. But the really interesting thing there, when it says there's healing in his wings in Malachi chapter four, that word wings, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Numbers chapter 15. In Numbers chapter 15, the children of Israel were told on the, the corner of their garments, they were supposed to put these tassels. And in the tassels, there was a blue thread and it was supposed to remind them of the law, the word of God, their relationship with the Lord, walking in holiness and righteousness. And they were supposed to put these tassels on the corner of their garment. The corner of their garment is the wings of their garment you could translate Malachi 4 to say the son of righteousness will arise with healing in the corner of his garment healing in his wings was this woman familiar with this passage was she in essence saying Jesus you're the Messiah you're the son of righteousness there has been darkness in my life for the last 12 years And it's been cold and it's been dark and it's been hopeless, but you are the son of righteousness and your light is going to shine into my life and you're going to bring warmth and you're going to bring life and you're going to bring hope. And there's healing in your wings. There's healing in the corner of your garment. And she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made well. The direct presence of Jesus inspires remarkable faith. The word of God Inspires remarkable faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two edged sword piercing, even to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and of the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Was this woman familiar with this passage? And she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made well. Now you have to appreciate this scene because here you have this multitude that's gathered, this crowd of people, they're all pressing in, they're all smothering Jesus. And he stops and he says, now, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And the disciples must have started laughing like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. He says, no, 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 this was different. I felt power go out. You see the crowd of people, they're all pressing in, but only one person touched me. It's Augustine who has the famous quote that says, the flesh presses, but faith touches. And I think that's unfortunate that sometimes people get so close and they listen to Jesus and they consider the words of Jesus, but their lives are never transformed. Their sins are never forgiven. Power never goes out from the presence of the Lord, and they don't experience the life-changing message that Jesus came to bring. How sad, how unfortunate. The flesh may press in, but it's faith that touches him. Jesus says, no, no, Faith touched me. I felt power go out from me and says the woman was fearing and trembling. She was probably worried that she would be in trouble. She's unclean. She's probably not supposed to be touching anyone. And is she going to be in trouble? She's probably hoping Jesus will just continue on. But he stops and he wants to find her, not because he wants to embarrass her, but he knows that a physical healing is one thing. But a spiritual healing is something else. He wants to minister to this woman. And eventually she comes and she tells the whole truth. And she says, well, here's what happened. And here's what I did. And what does he say to her? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Be healed of your affliction. Of all of the things that she's been called, all of the names she's been called for the last 12 years, Of all of the things that she might have thought Jesus was going to say, I can almost guarantee you she was not expecting to hear the word daughter. As a matter of fact, it's the only time in the New Testament that we see Jesus calling any woman his daughter. It's here in Mark chapter 5. Daughter, you're loved. You're accepted. I have a plan for you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore you. Your faith has made you well. Now, you remember, Jairus is still there trying to get Jesus to come back to his house. I'm sure Jairus is like, look, this is great, and I'm glad that she's okay. I'm glad that this miracle happened and everything. But Jesus, I need you at my house. I need you to get me back home. I remember a number of years ago, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who was two at the time, it was during Christmas, and... Uh, there over at her grandparents' house, and the Christmas tree was up. And so when you have a two-year-old and a Christmas tree, it's always a little bit sketchy, you know, because they're going over there, they're grabbing it, and the tree's rocking back and forth, and they're pulling ornaments off. And so one of the things that you do is all of the ornaments at the bottom of the tree are the soft cloth ornaments that you don't care because she's probably going to take them and walk around the house and lose them and that sort of thing. But there was one ornament, apparently, that was just low enough that she was able to reach up on her tippy toes and pulls it down, this glass ball ornament. And she has it right there in front of her face. And I'm sitting at the table. I see the whole thing happen. It's just one of those slow motion moments where I'm getting up out of my chair and going over there to grab it from her. And before I could get there, the ornament pops. And all of this glass goes into her mouth. And I'm flipping out. (laughs) And I'm going over there and I'm fishing out all of these pieces that are in her mouth. And right around the time I thought I got it all, I open up her mouth and I look in and I see all these little bits of gold in the back of her throat and I'm panicking. Now, I don't know if she couldn't breathe or if she's panicking because I'm panicking. She's turning red. We flip out, throw her in the car, and I'm driving like 100 miles per hour to the hospital, running red lights, laying on my horn. I get into the hospital. For a split second, they acted like they were going to give me a clipboard. I think I backhanded the clipboard, like, no, I need your best team of surgeons down here immediately. My little girl's in trouble. And, you know, it's amazing when a large man with a crazy look in his eye, oh, yes, sir, and suddenly we started getting the care that we needed, and it ended up being that she was okay, and they were able to get some of the pieces out. She swallowed some of the pieces and and was okay, but that's where Jairus is at, like, hey, I'm really glad that this woman is getting ministered to, but Jesus, I need you to get back home with me. He perceives the whole situation as a delay. This is a delay to what I have going on and the needs that I'm trying to have Jesus meet. But in reality, Jesus was preparing him. How many of you have discovered that? So often in life, what we think is a delay, what we think is just an inconvenience, oftentimes God's preparing us. Jesus knows something that Jairus doesn't know. And that is his little girl's already passed away. We're about to find that out in the story. They're going to come to Jesus and say, oh, don't trouble the teacher anymore. She's already gone. Jesus, no doubt, knows that. And so this is all in preparation. Isn't it interesting? The only time that Jesus calls a woman daughter in the New Testament is in front of Jairus, who's trying to get Jesus to come and to save his daughter. He needed to hear that just as much as this woman needed to hear that. It's almost as if Jesus was saying to him, you know how you love your little girl? You know how you care about her and would do anything for her? You would lay down your life for her. That's how I care about this woman. That's how I care about the world. That's how he cares about you, about me. Oh, there is something so life-changing and powerful when you realize that God loves you like that. Oh, it's so marked the Apostle John, who was just a young man when he walked with Jesus and was a disciple. He lived to be 80 or 90 years old, and as an older man, still so impacted by the fact that Jesus loved him like that. He doesn't ever refer to himself in the Gospel of John. He just simply says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He writes 1 John 3, verse 1 that says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. When you realize that God loves you like that, when God loves you like a father, who, you're his child and he would do anything for you, oh, it's life changing. And so verse 35 says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted that no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Then they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. They come to this man and they say, hey, don't trouble the teacher anymore. She's already passed away. And as soon as Jesus heard it, he turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. I would imagine that word from Jesus, it applies to so many different seasons of our life. Maybe even where you find yourself here tonight, don't be afraid, only believe. And he begins to make his way back to the house. He doesn't permit the crowd to follow him. It's interesting. Sometimes we think of Jesus just being like this celebrity trying to make his way through and he has no control over the crowd. But now as he's getting near Jairus's house, he tells the crowd stay put and they all stay put. No one's following him. Just Peter, James and John. They come up to the house and there's people who are weeping and wailing. It was cultural. It was the norm of the time. If there was someone who passed away, you had people out in front of your house just weeping and wailing. It sounds really depressing to me, but that's what they did. Sometimes they even had professional mourners, people that they paid to cry in front of their house. I don't know how you get into that line of work. It seems really strange to me, but that's what they did. And they're weeping and they're wailing in front of the house. And Jesus says, what's all this commotion about? If the child isn't dead, she's sleeping seemed that Jesus often used that metaphor for death because it was just temporary in, in his heart and his mind. He said the same thing of Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus isn't dead, he's sleeping. Now, the Bible is very clear to tell us, no, Lazarus had indeed died, but it was just the way that Jesus called it. It's just his expression. No, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And it says they ridiculed him and they mocked him. And then again, just very quietly, it says, and when Jesus put them all outside, Jesus says, look, you guys got to go. I know you mean well, but right now here in this place, you're not feeding faith. You're feeding fear. We have to be so careful about who we let in our house. You have to be so careful about who you let into the inner courts of your heart and your mind, the counsel that you're listening to. Are they feeding your faith or are they feeding your fear? Our fear, we want to look at our problems. We want to look at our obstacles. We want to consider only human resources. It's in our faith. We're looking to Jesus and we're considering his power and his strength and his might and his resources. And so when he put them all out, and then Jesus leads this mom and dad down the hall to this little girl, and here you have parents in their most vulnerable moment. And here you have Jesus, who is the exact representation of God the Father. He would later tell the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so how's he going to respond? Is he going to be cold? Is he going to be distant? No, he goes in close and he grabs her by the hand and he says, "Talitha kumi, which is an Aramaic phrase which means little girl, arise. But little girl is almost a poor translation. Talitha, it's a term of affection. It's like Jesus is saying, sweetheart, princess, little girl, arise. And she stands up and begins walking. He calls her back to life. There's just that much Power in his name. There's just that much power in his word. He says, Sweetheart, get up. And she stands up, and they're all marveling. They're all amazed at this amazing miracle that took place. And of course, it's interesting as you look at this story and you consider this man, Jairus, and this woman who had the issue of blood, they couldn't have been on more opposite ends of the spectrum. For the last 12 years, jairus has been respected living well thought of highly in his community for the last 12 years this woman has been looked down upon and has been broken and yet the truth of the matter is no matter how it may seem on the surface they both needed jesus and isn't that true of each and every one of us here tonight. You're not too good, you're not too bad. People might look at you, they might look at your life and maybe on the surface it seems like you have it all together. You got everything going for you. People might look at you and say just the opposite. No, what are you kidding me? Their life is falling apart, it's in shambles. But the reality is, we all need Jesus. And we all come to him the same way. We all come to him in brokenness. In humility, in faith and crying out, "Lord, would you have compassion upon me?" And the reality is, is you might be here tonight, and maybe you need a fresh touch from the Lord. Maybe you need to experience the forgiveness that can be found in the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection. His blood was shed for you. He paid the penalty of your sin. Maybe you need to experience forgiveness by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you need his touch. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're lost inside. And you know that you need a fresh touch from the Lord. This woman She had a point of contact for her faith. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made well. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him as well. The worship team is going to come up. Let's just come before the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we do just come before you, and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love and your mercy in our lives. Lord, I thank you for each person who's gathered here tonight. You know them by name. You know what's going on in their life. You know the burden that they carry. And I just pray that right here, right now, they would be able to respond to you. And if they need that fresh touch from you, Lord, I just pray that as we begin to worship you, that they would just stand to their feet, that they would lift their hands that they would know that Jesus, you are here in this place and you haven't changed. The same Jesus that we've been reading about on the pages of scripture, you're present here with us tonight and I pray that you'd meet with your people. Meet them right where they're at. Wash over them, Lord. There's power in your name. There's power in your word. There's power in your blood that was shed. So we just pray that your Holy Spirit would come and move among us. Have your way. We just give this time over to you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.